And that's where AR glasses would then become the next smartphone. But then not sure how long that's going to take because this hardware itself is very, very difficult to be built. Do you think they're close yet? I think it's very promising that big companies are working on it because it's definitely not something startup can work on. It takes a lot of resource. But if the big companies are working on it, that shows a lot of promise. Because if anybody can build that, that that'll be them. This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting-edge technology, influential global tech players, and Taiwan. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John with the Asianometry YouTube channel. I have here today Tenping Yu with Fire Technologies. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you. Thank you for having me, John. So uh, let me just get started a little bit with a simple question. Tell me a little bit about Fire Technologies. Like, what is the product and what problem are you trying to solve here? Sure. What we built is augmented reality navigation for driving. That is our main product. And that is user-facing, and it basically guides you to where you want to go, just like Google Maps and Waze. But instead of showing you a 2D map, we show you live camera feed with augmented reality navigation directly overlaid on the road for you so that things look like they're painted on the road for you already to guide you to where you need to go. And we believe that is the most straightforward way to understand direction. And in order to do that, we have to build a lot of computer vision AI that understands the road in front of us in order for us to know which lane you're in, how many lanes there are, what's the shape of the road in front of you, so we can overlay things correctly. So this is a lot of tech, a lot of product, and also a lot of design, because in order for us to make AR navigation not distracting, but also effective, there needs to be a lot of design carefully generated for this product. I can't wait to grill on it. So how did you get started about this? Like, how did you come across and how did you come to this idea of this AR overlay concept? Is that what you started out doing? Is that when you worked on this? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Right. My background mainly is in computer vision, machine learning research. I was doing my postdoc in Boston. And I'm the type of person that when I drive, I heavily rely on my GPS. I cannot go anywhere without GPS. And because of that, I also don't remember the road because I just follow whatever GPS tells me. Now, that's an issue because in places like Boston, where the traffic pattern or the road pattern is very, very complex, a lot of times when my map is telling me to make a right turn, but on the map, there are five right turns on the map and five right turns in front of me. So I don't know which right turn exactly I'm supposed to take. And when you're driving, you have to make that decision right away. You can't stop and figure it out. And that's why a lot of times I make wrong turns and I miss my meeting or I'm late. And that has gone to a point where one day I just felt like, why am I still reading a 2D map? Well, maybe I'm finding excuses for myself not being able to read maps. But <laughs> Boston is very difficult to drive in. And for me, I mount my phone on the windshield. So the camera was already facing forward and the screen was already facing me. So I thought, why couldn't someone just show me what's in front of me through that camera feed and overlay my route directly on that feed so I know exactly where to go instead of reading a 2D map and trying to figure out my way, which is so 15 years old. And that's why I thought, hmm, instead of waiting for someone to do this, why do I try to build this? Because this is a lot of computer vision and my background is in computer vision. So that prompted me to start the company. And it wasn't a very difficult choice because I was a postdoc fellow, a research position after PhD, and typically they're not well paid. <laughs> so that was an easy transition for me. Right, right. And what was that like to move from like academia to kind of like business, essentially? How was that sort of transition? You know, that's a very good question. Very interesting because I always knew that engineering and science isn't my forte, even though I went all the way to PhD and postdoc. But 
after going through all of that, and after going through internships during the summer, I saw a lot of engineers who are really, really good at what they do, and also a lot of smart scientists who are really good at research. And I found that I've obtained those knowledge through my training, but I think what I'm good at is to apply the knowledge that I have into different use cases. That's also why I made the decision to become an entrepreneur, because I feel like I can do that better than continue going to academia. And therefore, I think I take this as an opportunity to learn about business, because if I go into a company as an engineer or a research scientist, there's just no, probably very little opportunity for me to get into any business-related side of things. So this was a good opportunity for me to get exposed to many different things. This is a weird question, but what do you think makes a technology business applicable? Like when you look at something, if they come, someone brings you an idea or something like that, what is it about it that do you think like, oh, this is something that can go out of the lab rather than stay in the lab? I think people might think of it differently, but for me, I feel like there's use cases for many, many different research. Most of the papers, there's some kind of use case for it. It's just whether you have the interest or you have the intention or you have the idea to turn that research into some real world product. And that is something I'm very interested in. And I think that's why I decided to build AR Navigation because that is a direct use case to lightweight computer vision that I have been working on during my PhD. And that directly addressed a pain point, at least my pain point, which I keep making wrong turns. And so I was hoping that that would also be a pain point other people are encountering when they're driving. So you started this company and been, seems to be have been doing quite well. Congratulations. And what was YC like? What's that experience been like? So I'll tell you this story. Is, it's kind of funny. When we started the company, we only had a demo of the technology, which was a live on-device object detection. That was five years ago. So we were saying that, hey, look at what we can do. So trust us on building out the whole product based on this technology. That was our main pitch. Of course, we talked about market size and everything, and we raised some money through our angel investors, but ultimately not enough. In order for us to build our product, we need a lot more resources. To explain in the most simple way as I can is that we realized that what we're building is actually self-driving without driving a car. What that means is in order for self-driving to work, there's a control portion that controls the vehicle. Mm. But before it's controlling the vehicle, you first need to plan the path for the vehicle. Wow. And before you plan the path, you need to understand what's in front of you. right? So for us, we need to understand what's in front of you and we need to plan a path. We just don't control. Initially, we're trying to build this as a smartphone application. I know I'm not talking about YCE, but I'll get there. <laughs> Initially, we're building on a phone, which is very resource-limited in terms of compute resource. That's why we need a lot of engineers for us to build the tech and the product and the design and everything to fit all the self-driving tech pretty much onto a phone. And that can run real-time with a good accuracy. Now, that's very, very resource-demanding. That's why we had to raise. And when we didn't raise enough through our angels, I thought, hmm, I've heard of the term accelerator, and they seem to pay. So let me look up what are some accelerators out there. As I Googled accelerator, I found, oh, Y Combinator, AngelPad. Uh, what else? There's another one. Oh, there's 500 startups. And also there's the Techstars, you know, some of the famous ones. And I just picked what application deadline is still open. That turns out to be Y Combinator, Techstars, and AngelPad. So I applied to all three, not really knowing which one's which other than they pay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got interview notice from Techstars. We got rejected by AngelPad. But YC also gave us an interview. And one of my employees or my team at that time, he has tremendous respect for YC. So he's like, oh, you got, we got an interview for YC, really? That's when I started to look into what YC is. And then I realized, oh, it seems like a well-known accelerator. And not knowing that, I wrote that application in like 10 minutes. I just put, like, put something <laughs> in the application. But you know, most people, they, they really spend time on applications. I think we got pretty lucky to get that interview. 
And because we were already raising before that interview, so I've already had quite a bit of pitching experience and also the questions I got from investors. So going into the YC interview, it wasn't too stressful for me because I've already been kind of grilled by other investors. Unfortunately, the interview went well. And well, there's a whole other interesting story I can't share online, but uh, <laughs> the interview went well, bottom line. And we were accepted. So after that, uh, we got in. And then YC was not as expected because after we got in, I thought YC was like other accelerators where they will have office hours and hold kind of lectures about how to think about certain things or how to position yourself and, you know, all that what accelerators will do. YC doesn't do that. They have weekly dinner where everybody gets together and they invite speakers and you kind of sit there, eat dinner and listen to the speaker. And then there's not even an office hour that's regular. You request office hours with your mentor whenever you need to. But otherwise, they expect you to just work and build your stuff until demo day. So once you're in, the only but the biggest thing about YC is the network. So you become one of their founder community where you have access to their forum and you can exchange ideas, exchange information, and also discuss between all the founders. Otherwise, it's very unstructured. And then Demo Day was really good because YC is such a big name. So mm. all the big name VCs would join the Demo Day. So that was a very good opportunity. But YC itself is very unstructured and they expect all the founders to just work throughout that three months. That's interesting. So kind of thinking a little bit what you mentioned about the AR and kind of you're building self-driving without the control part. What is happening right now and kind of like in that part of the world that you're working in, like the self-driving or the automotive AR world, like what big trends are happening right now? Well, I think first thing is everybody wants self-driving, but everybody kind of overly optimistic about when they'll hit the market and when they'll hit the road. And also in what kind of shape or form they'll hit the road. So Right now, we're seeing some level of self-driving from Tesla and some other car makers, but they're still more in terms of support and like a high-level ADAS. It'll still take a while to be fully deployed. And also, when it's deployed, it's likely not going to be a car you can just buy because in order for a car to be self-driving capable, it needs a lot of hardware compute, a lot of sensors, and that just makes your car a lot more expensive. So for example, a Corolla might be $20,000 that targets a certain target audience. A consumer audience. But if you make Corolla into a self-driving Corolla, likely it's going to cost 30000 40000 So, you know, the target audience is no longer the same. So that's why we think self-driving is likely going to be a shared mobility type of launch, meaning it'll be like Uber, but self-driving Uber so that you take that service when you do, but you don't actually buy self-driving cars. But even that will take a long time. So that's why I think people are now realizing it's taking longer. And therefore, car makers are having high interest in terms of more driver assistance softwares such as AR navigation, because that directly helps driver today to guide them to where they are in a much more visual and direct way, rather than trying to wait for self-driving all the way that could be years down the road. And so you decided to build this product that was kind of like self-driving without the control part. Did you think that made it easier or do you think that made it more challenging as compared to if you were to raise like 200 million to build like a car? In some ways easier, in some ways harder. Easier, I think everybody understands the concept of self-driving. AR navigation was a difficult concept for people to understand five years ago when we just started. Over the years, as AR becomes more mainstream, I see more people now know what AR is and VR. So they now understand, oh, AR navigation means visual navigation. Okay, they get it. So that product idea is pretty straightforward. But because we are trying to build it in such a small form factor, such as on a smartphone or directly into the car that you have, which has arguably even less compute resource than a smartphone. But we have to achieve, you know, not the same, but close to self-driving type of accuracy in terms of path planning, of alignment, post-estimation, slam off that in real time. I think that is very difficult. 
And what did you find to be kind of one of the bigger bottlenecks as you tried to accomplish the system? Like what was kind of banging your head against? Like, oh, like, why is this so frustrating? There are things that we can't control. There are things we can't control. For example, we were first building it on a smartphone and we wanted to be an app that you can download, use for free, and then we'll kind of monetize off the data that way. And we were able to build our AI and AR in the product and actually our navigation onto iPhone and it worked. And we started testing it with our beta users in the US about two years ago. What we found was that they really liked the product. They really liked AR navigation, but they said that the phone, which is the screen size is just too small. So when they're driving, it's hard to look at AR on that small screen, even though that is showing what's in front of you. So that's something we can't change. And the second thing is when they're mounting their phone on the windshield, because we do need the camera to be facing forward to see the road so we can kind of show things overlay. Especially in California, Arizona, places that's very sunny and very hot, the sun is basically blasting on the phone all the time. And most people put their phone in a case, so that traps heat. It makes the phone overheat. So that, again, is something we can't control. Because of that, we decided to transition into automotive-based application, meaning instead of building to the phone, we build it into the cars, such that when you go buy a car, that's like an option you can choose to add to your car. That's why now we're automotive-facing. And... Then the problems become the industry itself because automotive industry is not startup friendly and a lot of business side of challenges, I would say. Yeah, I've actually heard a little bit about this because when I was working on a video on the topic, like there's a lot of certifications or a lot of kind of requirements from a car or hardware that goes into a car that isn't necessarily the same that would be in a smartphone, right? Exactly right. So because we're not safety critical, therefore we don't need all of the certifications that typically an ADA system would need. But we still do need to be certified for some certifications that that's automotive grade. It's a lot of extra costs and a lot of extra time that we have to go through. And also for automotive industry, the sales cycle is very long. Usually it takes years for any company to win a contract. Even though that contract would be multi-year, but still to winning that contract will take a long time. And that's why that's also not very startup friendly. But the good thing is our product, even though it's automotive facing, but there's a lot of use cases in a horizontal sense, meaning for example, we also talk to fleets and also dash cam companies so that they can incorporate our product into their trucks or their dash cams and also agricultural vehicles. That way it can help us kind of move things forward without just putting all the eggs in one basket. You mentioned it started out in a phone, so it was just an app at that time. When you transitioned into like automotive hardware, what does that look like now? Like what's that hardware package? So right now the cars, for us, we require at least one camera, one front-facing camera. And that's kind of our selling point, meaning as long as you have one front-facing camera, that's all we need. And then because most of our processing is using computer vision to understand the road, do the planning, and then to overlay based on that understanding. We do use the IMU sensors on the car that kind of sense how the car is vibrating, how the car is moving. We also use GPS on the car that's similar to on the phone. So standard hardware, and we don't require car makers to give us any high-performance compute. We can use what they currently use for production, because again, our selling point is to be able to run our AI and AR very efficiently on existing automotive platforms. So if you're using hardware that's probably not as sophisticated as a kind of like an iPhone 13 or something like that, what are some of the concerns with kind of running what has to be probably really intensive computer vision on less leading-edge hardware? You know, I think what, what happens is there's pros and cons in terms of using the phone versus using a car platform. So the, inside the car, the ventilation of the compute platform is much better than the phone. Mm. But really the car, there's more sensors. For example, you have the wheel ticks and you have the steering wheel angle, the, the car-specific sensors that we can use where the phone doesn't have. 
So those can really help us to estimate how your car is moving. In contrast to the phone, where we don't have much more than IMU sensor and camera, that's all we have to estimate how your camera is moving. So I think in that sense, car provides us with more data that we can use. But but mostly it's just car's compute is typically less powerful than the phone. So we have to be able to squeeze our AI and AR to be even more efficient in order for us to run real time on the car. So you come a little bit more from the AI side and seeing the recent progress in neural networks and AI, like what's been kind of most exciting for you, like even outside of like self-driving or like what's been kind of really caught your eye? You know, deep learning neural network, they have advanced so far and so fast. Because so many people are now working on it, it's really difficult to keep up with all the progresses these days. I think up until two years ago, I was still able to somewhat keep up to what's going on. Now I don't even know what are the greatest and latest because it's just so many things happening with AI. But that's also the exciting part because things are moving so fast. For example, Google's new voice synthesizer, it's just making all the Google voice related products sound so much more human and that's incredible. And also recently I've seen a lot of AI generated images. Those are amazing. They look so good. You know, whoever said that AI can't create, I look at all that, right? It's incredible. And there's so many use cases for AI. It's really cool. I'd love for it to be more utilized on the medical side, which it is because Google has, what's that called? Alpha fold, right? For the protein structure. Yeah. That also hit the news recently where they predicted, I don't know how many new protein structures that really helps the medical professionals. So very amazing. Do you think that recent progress has been driven more kind of like hardware or kind of software or like data? Like, where do you think kind of a lot of this is coming from? Very good question. I think most entities that are making a lot of progress on those are big mega corporations where they don't have concerns about hardware and compute resource. They can have hundreds of GPU that trains a single model just to make that model really huge and really accurate, really good. And that's fine. But in terms of making AI accessible to everybody, edge processing is very important. Say if you wear a watch and you want to have AI running on it, sure, you can have cloud run the AI and then kind of send the output to your watch. But that then is insecure because the data will have to travel through internet and people can kind of intercept that data or hack that data. And what if your network is unstable and you don't have any results? That's why I think edge processing is really important for AI because that really brings all the use cases to everybody. But edge processing is very difficult. Again, because the more powerful the AI is, typically it requires more compute resource. And uh, more compute resource means ventilation needs to be better. And typically when you have a small device, ventilation is not very good. So there's a lot of challenges to be worked out there. And of course, I'm also very interested in AR classes, even though it's been a bust so far. Mm-hmm. But you know, Microsoft HoloLens too is doing really well. And I think Facebook Meta, is, Metaverse is not AR, it's VR. But still, I think they're also working on smart glasses. Google, Apple, Amazon, they're all working on, on smart or AR glasses. I think that's great. I'm really looking forward to one day when we have AR glasses we can wear, which is powered by AR and AI that understands your surrounding to really bring all the use cases to all of us. What do you envision a popular consumer AR product like eyeglasses? Like, what is that going to look like? Because you hear a lot about these companies like Apple and uh, Snap, I guess, like they're releasing or they are in the process of releasing their own AR product. And like, what do you envision like that product having to achieve? Like, what goals do they need to hit? So I envision if AR glasses can be built into a form factor that's similar to regular glasses, then, of course, navigation related would be important because then it can guide you to where you need to go, whether you're walking or driving or riding a bike. That would be very, very helpful. And also location-based services such as nearby restaurants, gas stations, and with their discounts. So if there's a Starbucks that's 500 feet in front of you, 
that maybe in AR show that, oh, this is special we have today. So, oh, so you know that, oh, I'll go to that Starbucks instead of maybe this other cafe you were thinking about going. So all those location-based services would be really practical and useful, I think, for AR glasses. And then I'd really imagine that developers will start developing their own use cases, their own apps for AR glasses. And that's where AR glasses would then become the next smartphone. But then not sure how long that's going to take because this hardware itself is very, very difficult to be built. Do you think they're close yet? I think it's very promising that big companies are working on it because it's definitely not something startup can work on. It takes a lot of resource. But if the big companies are working on it, that shows a lot of promise. Because if anybody can build that, that will be them. You're working on this sort of this automotive hardware project. Uh, where do you source that hardware to work on? Like, is that something you just take off the shelf in here in America? Or do you have you gone to Taiwan to kind of source new hardware or kind of spoken to hardware providers there? Is that kind of like, uh, just want to get a sense of like, what is that like to be kind of like a non-consumer AI chip kind of hardware startup? So because we are automotive facing, that we are software only, so we do need to have kind of dummy hardware or platforms that we can run demos and run experiments on. And these are typically automotive specific platforms. So it's, uh, we have to talk to the suppliers directly, you know, suppliers, whichever company that builds automotive platforms and try to strike a partnership with them such that they will share some platforms with us so we can try to build some of our software onto it and test it out. And we also have to have close relationships with tier one suppliers who supplies to OEM car makers so that they can help us to get more hardware to test and to verify. So some of our public partnerships that we have will be with Qualcomm. And we co-presented our product on Qualcomm Snapdragon Automotive Processor during, I think, it's CES 2022. And we also co-presented our product with Panasonic this year at CES as well. And also we work with TomTom, who is one of our map partners. So it just takes a lot of partnership in order for us to even get something to work into a car. So we're almost out of time. Is there anything else you want to say or pitch before we close? Uh, in terms of startup, I would say I have a lot of respect for all the entrepreneurs because I've obviously been at it for several years. It's a tough road, but uh, it's important to kind of keep at it, to persevere through this. And even though the market is doing pretty terrible, the economy is pretty bad. But yeah, this is time to see who was able to survive, I think, in a way. So best of luck to everybody out there who is working on their startups. And in terms of AR and AI, AI is everybody's working on that. So it's already popular. AR, I'm hoping there to be more AR companies that's building applications, addressing real pain points so that we can hopefully revive AR, revive us in because it's been viewed as like a hype because a lot of the applications are more game entertainment related rather than solving real pain points. So I'm hoping to see more AR startups to help uh, with the industry. Thanks, Tenping, for coming on to the uh, Startup Island Taiwan podcast. Really appreciate your time and um, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, John. You as well. 